All the plans of God led up to, were foundational for, and pointed us to the birth of the coming of Christ at Christmas. There was indeed so much more than we commonly think leading up to it. And there is so much more that's been added to it since then. With the traditions of gift giving and decorating and shopping, parties and school pageants. In fact, I heard about one kindergarten school pageant where all the kids wore reindeer antlers and sang cute, simple little songs. And at the end, the teacher said, we've been learning in kindergarten how to ask good questions this year. And so they handed the mic to the first child, which is always kind of a dangerous thing to do. But then they started going down the line and each kid getting to ask Santa a question that they always wanted to ask. And some of the questions went like this. Why do you live at the North Pole? How did you meet Mrs. Claus? Why do you come only once a year? How do you make up your list? And then when they got to the ninth kid, all the good questions had been asked. And so he had just held the mic there frozen. With everybody looking at him, the pressure rose and the teacher off stage started motioning, say something, say anything at all. And so then he gathered his courage and blurted out, I like Batman. And then he proudly handed the mic to the next child who looked even more scared than he had because he was even more afraid. He couldn't think of anything new to ask Santa either. And so finally he just blurted out, I like Superman. Well, the teacher obviously had to step in then, suggested to the next kid that they might ask Santa what are some of his favorite things. And with that, the child's face brightened and the child asked, Santa, who's your favorite reindeer? And others asked, following that kind of lead, what's your favorite day of the year? What's your favorite cookie? And then the next kid felt stuck again. So all he could do is ask, what's your favorite cookie? Next kid feeling stuck asked the same thing, what's your favorite cookie? And then that's the way it went all the way down the line. And sometimes we too feel stuck, don't we, when it comes to Christmas. And so thoughts come to mind like, um, you know, I can't wait till it's over. Or with all that's happening this year, this is going to be a really tough one. Or when in the world do I have time to do all the stuff I need to do? And so when it comes to Christmas, this is a time that we can sometimes feel stuck. We feel stuck between thinking about gifts and finding them, between purchasing them and wrapping them. We feel stuck between all the joy and all the merriment around us and then all the added demands and stresses of the season. And we feel stuck between all the extra busyness and the desire to slow down and to find some peace this season. You know, one group of folks who always seem to get stuck around Christmas each year are the athletes. And these are the ones that have to play important games this time of year. Like the 30 college basketball games are going to be played two days before Christmas. And then there's one college basketball game the day after Christmas. There's five pro basketball games played on Christmas Day itself. 13 pro basketball games played the day after Christmas. There's two college football bowl games played the day before Christmas, and six college football games played the day after Christmas. And there's one pro football game before Christmas and one played on the day after. That's 118 teams involved in 59 games right around Christmas. And what do those teams try to do since they are playing so close to Christmas? What they do is they make what they call advanced preparations so that they, quote, don't miss Christmas. And certainly, 
with all the work and all the travel, all the time away from home. It's easy to see how they actually could miss Christmas. Going back to our kindergarten class, learning to ask good questions, I think there's a good question that you can ask yourself today. And it's this, am I going to miss Christmas? That is, am I going to miss what Christmas is really about? Am I going to miss what God wants me to know? And how does God want me to be impacted by Christmas deep down this year? Isn't that the reason for the season? Isn't that what Christmas is really about? You know, interesting, one of the players in these Christmas time games said, no game is worth missing Christmas for. Yet you and I can miss Christmas in spite of a month of Christmas decorations, Christmas lighting, Christmas parties, Christmas hymns and carols in every store, Christmas cards, Christmas gifts, Christmas shopping, Christmas pageants, Christmas TV specials, Christmas advertisements. So with all this going on, is it really possible to miss Christmas? And if so, how do you miss it? Well, the answer is yes. And here's how you miss it. We actually miss Christmas in the same way that the people all around that very first Christmas in the Bible missed it some 2,015 years ago. And for the same three reasons they missed it. And the first one is this. It's busyness. This is what happened with the innkeeper. We all know the story. In the last week of her pregnancy, Mary and Joseph had to go from their hometown in Nazareth to this tiny little town of Bethlehem for a census related to taxation. As they arrive, obviously, Mary needs a place to rest and to stay. And so Joseph goes to the inn in this town of just a few hundred people and discovers that the inn is full. And there's no room in the inn at all. And so Luke 2.7 in the Revised Standard Version puts it like this. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. You have to understand, from the innkeeper's perspective, this was great because the census thing's going on, business is booming. Obviously, if you own an inn, you want it to be full, no vacancies, no room. This is great news for him. But as a result, the innkeeper didn't have any time at all to hear Mary and Joseph's story. He was just too busy tending to the needs of all of his guests. But he said, since she's pregnant, you guys can stay in the barn. And oh my, did the innkeeper's busyness cause him to miss out. Think about this. The son of God's about to be born in your inn. Can you imagine the PR power of that? Put up a sign, son of God born here. And you could be sold out in your inn for the rest of your life. He missed indeed the greatest outward opportunity of his life. Why? Because he was too busy with all of his business. But he also missed the greatest inward opportunity of his life to witness the newborn Son of God, the Savior of the world, right next door. So in terms of asking good questions, are you too busy with all your business to have room for Jesus in your life? To have more space for Jesus in your life? And when we talk about your business, we're not talking about what you do for work or a living. We're talking about your thoughts. We're talking about your feelings. We're talking about your attention. We're talking about your time, your budget, your plans. Are you too busy with everything else that's going on so that there's no more room and there's no more place for Jesus in your heart or your mind or your spirit this Christmas? Well, that's the first reason people miss Christmas. It's busyness. Now, the second reason people miss Christmas is familiarity. What this means is you're so familiar with the Christmas story, this doesn't inspire you anymore. 
You've heard it all before. You've celebrated Christmas your entire life. You know the story of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And you know the story of the shepherds and the wise men. You know the story of the angels singing and the glory to God in the highest. You know all that, right? You've been there and done that over and over and over again. It seems like the same stories, the same songs, the same traditions. I'm jaded. I'm bored. I lack enthusiasm. My attitude towards Christmas really is ho-hum. Yes, you can become so familiar with something, it doesn't move you anymore. You can take it for granted, and you don't do anything about it. Well, this is the mistake of familiarity that another group of people had on that very first Christmas, and those people being the scholars and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Here's how it happened. The Bible tells us wise men from the east had seen some kind of a star. We don't actually know what it was. And so they started following it towards Israel. And they looked up all the prophecies and they realized that the Savior of the world was to be born in Israel, but they didn't really know where. But you also have to realize that we don't know who these wise men were. We don't even know exactly where they come from. Some people think they were from the very far east, maybe China or India. Some people think maybe the Middle East or maybe an eastern part of Africa. But we really don't know where they're from. But what we do know is they were scholars and they studied the stars and they paid attention. And when they saw something unusual, they said, hey, let's go check it out. And so these wise men from somewhere far away arrive in Jerusalem and they ask for a meeting with the king. And since they appear to be important men, the request was granted. So they walk in and meet with the king. This is King Herod. And ask, so where is this king, the savior of the world, to be born? And Herod's clueless. And so look what he does in Matthew 2, 4, and 5 in the New International Version. Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. And he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They knew exactly what he was talking about as prophesied in the Bible. They were familiar with the place that the Christ child was to be born, and that was in Bethlehem. But here's the thing. Think about this. Foreign dignities come from a very long way away, all the way to Israel. They're following a star to check out the birth of the Savior. They meet the king. The king calls in the scholars and the religious leaders, tells them about him, asks where the Savior should be born. They say, in Bethlehem, it's familiar knowledge to them. And yet not one of them, not one single one of Jerusalem's best scholars and religious leaders go to Bethlehem. Not any of them have any awe any wonder, any curiosity at all to go and to check out what the dignitaries have said. And you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem where they were? 500 miles? 100 miles? 50 miles? How about 5 miles? They wouldn't even go 5 miles to check it out. They were so familiar with the story that it didn't seem real to them anymore. They just had a lack of curiosity, and that's stunning. But here's the thing that can happen to us if we've grown up in around the church. You've heard the story of Christmas over and over again, and thus, too, you can miss it. You see, the scholars and the religious leaders have been waiting for the Savior for centuries. That's a really long time. And so now there's really no room in their theology for him to actually show up, and certainly not to show up now. And thus the religious leaders and the religious scholars were so locked into their version, their idea of the story, that the Savior might come someday, they struggled to see what God really wanted. That was in sending his son a relationship. Not rules, not regulations, but a relationship. 
And they were so busy and so familiar with their religion and its story and all its rites and rituals that they had no room for a relationship with God. Yet a relationship with each of us. That is why God sent his son to earth. So, good question to ask is, what difference is Christ coming going to make in my life and for the rest of my life? If you're not clear, then you could be stuck in the familiarity of the story. You're stuck in all the rites and the rituals of this season. And without your getting in touch with God and all that that means in your relationship with Him right now, at this time of your life, then you're going to probably mostly miss Christmas and what it's really all about as well. You know, you can put up Christmas lights, you can still be in the dark. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 4.10 in the New Living Translation. Their minds were full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. You see, when our minds are dark, we drift. We drift from God. We drift from the lives that he's created us to live. Because the busyness of our life, that's why. That's one reason. A second reason is because of the familiarity of the story. And this may sound a little strange, but there's a third reason that those people of the first Christmas missed it, and it's this. It's fear. You know, it's a sad fact that some people, they openly fear Christmas. That's why they fight nativity scenes with lawsuits filed against it, opposing any mention of Christmas on any front they can find for their grievance to take root. Why? They just oppose the message of Christmas. Something inside them, they fear about it being out there. And this too is the story of the first Christmas. It wasn't the innkeeper's problem. It wasn't the scholars and the religious leaders' problem. This was Herod's problem. You see, Herod was a very wild and crazy guy and not in the good sense of that. He was the king of Israel, but he wasn't Jewish. He was actually a Roman citizen of Arab descent, who under Roman authority was appointed the title king of Israel. And the Jews obviously hated him. And his job was to control and to suppress the Jews. And in doing that, he was afraid of anyone who might threaten his being appointed king of Israel and king of the Jews. Thus, anyone Herod thought might threaten or overthrow him, he had killed This is incredible. He had his wife killed because he thought she might overthrow him. He had his mother killed because he thought she might overthrow him. He had two of his sons killed early on because he thought they might overthrow him. Herod also had his brother-in-law killed. Five days before he died, he had prominent Jews rounded up, thrown in prison. And he said, the moment I die, kill them because no one will weep over my death. But they will weep over the death of these important people. Thus, some people will weep the day I die. The guy was nuts. And so thus, the wise men show up asking where this baby is to be born, this king of the Jews, and Herod goes ballistic. And after the wise men find the child, and they ignore Herod, and they go home a different way, this happens according to Matthew 2, 4, and 5 in the New International Version. When Herod realized that the visitors from the east had tricked him, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its neighborhood who were two years old and younger the time the star had appeared. It's been called the Massacre of Innocents. He was that fearful of the Christ child. Now, you and I don't have that same kind of fear, but there are a lot of people who are afraid to know God. And three things which can keep them from knowing God are, if I really open up my life to Christ, number one, man, I'll lose my freedom. Secondly, I won't have fun anymore. Thirdly, I'll become a fanatic. I'll 
have to start wearing polyester pants. I'll have a big hairdo. I'll start saying, Jesus. I'll begin acting like a religious nutcase. But when you open your life to Christ, he doesn't make you more religious. He makes you more alive. In fact, St. Ignatius said, the glory of God is a person who is fully alive. If we're not connected to the creator who made us, we're simply existing. We're not really living. And we're not really living to the fullest extent of how he created us to live. And you know what? We try so hard, don't we? To add that fullness or create that fullness in our life with all sorts of things. Pleasure, passion, possession, position, sex, salary, success. Thus we try to control this factor of fulfillment in our lives. And this was King Herod's thing as well. He wanted to control the fulfillment of his kingdom on his own terms. He was afraid of anything or anyone he felt threatened him. And that's what happens concerning people accepting Christ. It's much easier to simply skip along the surface of life with decorations and presents and parties and passions. It's much less threatening to deal with those things than really knowing why he came. So even though people may never think that their avoidance of God is a fear, that's what it actually is. And sometimes it's the same for us. We avoid going deeper with God and perhaps going deeper with Christmas because that may make us feel a little less comfortable with certain things in our lives, which we'd rather avoid and subconsciously fear what would happen if we really had to deal with them. And so how do we not miss Christmas if busyness, if familiarity, if fear of our growing deeper with God really are factors in our lives this Christmas? Well, if we were to cross over from missing what Christmas is really about, that is, crossing over from having a shallow view of Christmas to a full and deeper view of Christmas, what must we do? Well, actually, we're to do what we do anytime we cross over from one thing to another, like crossing a street. We're to stop, we're to look, and we're to listen. During the season of Christmas, we are to stop. You see, I need to stop filling my life with less important things. Don't let busyness keep you from knowing God. Psalm 36, 9 in the Living Bible tells us that all this busy rushing leads to nothing. Sometimes, you know, we do have to rush things, don't we? But they are rarely done as well as they could be if we weren't rushing and doing them. And busyness causes us to rush around. And when we do that, it's an even worse habit to get into, a worse style of life, of thinking, of being all the time. But it's even more true in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Because rushing makes us miss the real depth of Christmas and our full connection with God. So friends, beware of the barrenness of a busy life, especially in preparing for the coming of Christ's Son. If you think about the night that Christ was born, it was a very still and starry night as the Christmas carol goes. And thus, Psalm 4610, the International Version, tells us this simple truth. It says, be still and know that I am God. And the message version of this verse breaks it down this way for us. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above everything else. In other words, step out of the holiday trimmings and trappings and traffic to be silent and still in your soul so you can take a long look at God, a loving look at God, so that the true heart of Christmas can touch yours in a deep, impactful, and a transforming way. Blaise Pascal once said, All a man's problems come from his inability to be still. I don't know if that's entirely true, but many of our problems do grow out of our times of being hurried and worried. And when we're hurried and worried, we 
are constantly filling our lives with less important things and we crowd out God. We're like the innkeeper. We have no room for the birth of Christ coming into our lives in new ways. It's interesting, the first group that God tells about the birth of the Son, it's the shepherds, the herders of sheep. And in that culture, shepherds were the lowest rung on the status ladder. They were considered dirty and stinky and smelly and worthless people. So who does God tell the good news to first? The shepherds, the lowly, the people on the edge who no one really wants to associate. And why do you think he did that? may have been because they weren't busy. They were sitting around with their sheep on a starry night. Angels show up and say, go to Bethlehem, see this baby. And so what did they do? They go. Because God speaks to those of us who are willing to listen. The innkeeper, it turns out, he was too busy to listen. And the scholars and the religious leaders, evidently, they were too busy to listen. So God spoke to the shepherds who did listen and received the blessing of God's announcement and got to participate in that first Christmas, actually getting to lay their eyes on the Christ child. The reverence that they had for God blessed them greatly. And Proverbs 10.27 in the Living Bible tells us this. Reverence for God adds hours to each day. How is that possible? Well, that connection that you could have with God will help you stop filling your life, first of all, with less important things. I don't know how your mind works. The mind has the heart of a Ferrari. It moves at racing speeds at all the time. And honestly, it can cover miles of things in just minutes. And so I can get so caught up in this thought and that thought and then five other thoughts coming after it. It's hard for me to focus sometimes on what's really important. And so I have this running conversation with God keep my mind free of my Ferrari speed thoughts that constantly race through my mind because most of them are less important things. And without them constantly distracting me, I have a whole lot more time to enjoy life and to pursue the things that really matter, that are really important. So thus the scripture says, my reverence for God in that way, knowing he's the only one who can keep me free and my mind free and my depending upon him all the time for that does literally add hours to my week and hours to my days for the really important meaningful and fulfilling stuff in my life so this Christmas season and all the seasons of your life stop filling your life with less important things don't let busyness keep you from knowing God especially when it comes to Christmas and the second thing you can do is to keep missing Christmas is to look look closely at why Jesus came what did Jesus claim and say? Why does this matter? And what difference is this thing going to make in my life? This is one thing that King Herod did right. With respect to the wise men, but sadly not for himself. In Matthew 2.8 in the NIV, Herod said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And you know why the wise men were called wise? Because they did that. They made a careful search for the child. And that search for them began a long, long way from where they found him. But they didn't give up. Now, some of us, I know, may feel like we're a long, long way from God this Christmas. And so, what's the use of our searching for him? Well, the reason we search for him is the reason he came. To bridge the gap from where you are to God. But the mistake we make when we feel far from God is this. The distance we feel we are from God is just too great. It's just too far for us to ever get to Him. But here's the thing about Christmas. It's not about the distance that we have to travel to get to Him. 
It's the distance he has already traveled to get to us. Meaning he's right here. He's so much closer than you can ever imagine. And God said in Jeremiah 29:13 in the NIV, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, the gift of Christmas is for you to become a seeker. Let me repeat that. The gift of Christmas is for you to be a seeker. For you to begin the journey, or for you to restart the journey, or for you to continue with renewed excitement the journey of your life with God. See, that's what Christmas is about. And while Macy's will tell you it's about seeking the right gift, Publix will tell you it's about seeking the right turkey, Lexus will tell you it's about seeking a great deal on the perfect car, you can do all those things and still not get it. You'll not get the reason for the season of Christmas. And the reason is, again, for you to become a seeker. Not just repeating the same old outward traditions, but for you to be an inwardly new refreshed and transformed seeker of God. Having new clothes, a great turkey dinner, the perfect car won't really transform you very much. But being on fire and you're seeking God in new and refreshed ways can transform everything about you. And you don't have to know how it's going to happen in advance. You don't have to have all your questions about God answered to receive Jesus this Christmas, to bridge that gap between you and God to begin or to restart or to renew your deeper friendship and relationship with God. Honestly, I don't have a clue how radio waves work. But it doesn't keep me from enjoying the radio in my car. I don't understand how television signals work. It doesn't keep me from enjoying my TV. I don't understand how the internal combustion in my engine works. It doesn't keep me from driving my car. You don't have to have everything figured out to benefit from something. Certainly true with God. And let me say, it's especially true with God. There was once a guy who came to Jesus in the Bible and asked him to heal his daughter. Jesus said, do you believe I can heal your daughter? His answer was, I want to believe. Help me with my doubts. You know what Jesus said then? That's good enough. And bam, he healed the girl. So don't let anything, nothing, nothing at all stop your new, restarted, or renewed search and seeking the heart of God the coming of Christ, to bridge all that between you and Him this Christmas. So stop filling your life with less important things. Don't let busyness keep you from knowing God. Then look closely, look closely at why Jesus came, why He matters, what difference is that going to make in your life each day. And also listen, listen to the good news of Christmas. What is this good news? Well, look at what Jesus said in John 10.10 in the New Century Version. I came to give life in all its fullness. That's the gift of Christmas. Life in all its fullness. It's not about the fullness of new clothes, nor the fullness of a turkey dinner, or the fullness of having the perfect car, but the fullness of life, as in the fullness of love, the fullness of joy, and the fullness of peace. Any of us have all the love we'd like to have in our lives. Any of us have all the joy we'd like to have in our lives. Any of us have all the peace we'd like to have in our lives. Jesus said he came to give fullness of life, full love, full joy, full peace. Not only that, but cool other helpful things like full patience. Man, that could help. Full kindness, full faithfulness, full self-control. That's the gift of Christmas. You don't get it all at once. 
But you get started at Christmas, and then you get it all those times of the year that you need those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Whenever you need them, you get them throughout the year. And you get them by starting to listen at Christmas and listening more and more throughout the year to Jesus. Listening to Jesus, your bridge to God, your personal Savior. From all the unlove, from all the lack of joy, the lack of peace, from all the impatience, all the unkindness, all the unfaithfulness, and all the lack of control that the world throws at you every day. Jesus came to give us life to the fullest because we are not living life to the fullest. And you cannot live life to the fullest until you connect with the Creator who gave you the capacity to live life to the fullest. And He knows how to do that. On our own, we do not know how to do that. And Macy's and Publix and your local Lexus dealer, they don't know how to do that either. Only God who created you with that capacity does. And He says it comes through Christmas. So don't miss this incredibly good news, an eternally great gift. You know it's because the wise men gave gifts to the Christ child that first Christmas, and we have that tradition of giving gifts to each other. However, can you imagine going to someone's birthday party where everybody's giving gifts to each other and no one gives gifts to the birthday boy? That's not how it's supposed to be. So what are you going to give Jesus for his birthday? You're going to give gifts to everyone else. You're going to get gifts from everyone else. And you may think, what do you give the guy that has everything? So what are you going to give Jesus for his birthday? Well, you give him what he does not have. And so what does Jesus not have? Well, he doesn't have your love unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your trust unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your life unless you give it to him. And he's not going to force it. It's a matter of love. He gave his life for you. Will you give your life to him please join me in prayer gracious God we pray that you have touched our hearts and our spirits with something that's going to help us to just have the best Christmas ever I know for some of us father it may not seem that way as you know we don't have all the family and loved ones around us we once did and yet we know father that the gift of your son is for us to have a greater and a deeper experience of our lives with you help us to become seekers whether that's a new thing for us in relating to you or whether it's something that's renewed or something we're just going to continue. But help us to be seekers, Father, of your love in our life, your presence in our life. And so we thank you for the gift of your Son who makes that possible. And may we, Father, draw upon the gifts that you bring us of love and joy and peace. All those things, Father, may we begin drawing upon them more deeply in this Christmas season. These are your gifts to us. And then may we continue the conversation with you to receive them more and more. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you again for the gift of your Son. And may we draw upon his life as we live this season. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.